What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. to the From the Shadows podcast. I'm your host, Shane Grove. Um, again, Jason, the super producer, is out doing some super producing. Um, yeah, I know he hates to miss uh, miss the shows, but it's just, uh, we're, we're just not doing a very good job of scheduling. I wonder who the scheduler is. Oh, that's me. <laughs> My bad. So uh, before, we, uh, before we bring our guest on, I want to remind everybody that if you have a uh, story that you want to share with us, you can find us at From the Shadows uh, podcast on Facebook. Go to uh, After the Shadows, our forum page on Facebook. Uh, you can find me at Shane Grove, author on Instagram, or From the Shadows podcast on Instagram, or just go to uh, From the Shadows podcast.com, go to the contact page, send me an email. I will read it, I will respond to it. And if it's something really good, hopefully we, uh, we can have you on the show. And then not to forget, we do have a Patreon page that uh, we do. Um, we do put up extra content every month. Uh, just go check out, see what see what different levels there are. Um, I know every uh, episode gets put up there a day or so early and it's commercial free for those of you who do, don't like the commercials. Um, so, yeah, go check out our Patreon page. You just go to Patreon and search for from the shadows podcast um so i'm excited to bring on uh, our guest uh, for today and the funny thing is is i didn't think missouri was big enough for two personalities uh like the ozark collars but i think what we're going to find out is is our guest today is probably equally as um uh, how should I put it? Uh, engaging as the as the howler is. So I think the howler might be in trouble. I don't know. Uh, so Dennis, welcome uh, to the From the Shadows podcast. From the uh, is it what's Missouri? The Show Me State. It certainly is. How about that? How about that? So so Dennis, <laughs> so Dennis, I I can't wait to because as we discussed, uh, the Ozark Howler for our longtime listeners know that we do a uh, middle of the week show called the midweek howl mm-hmm. uh, because the howler is a, a great storyteller and just a pretty funny dude but he's not a believer in the paranormal so um once we start talking and, and you said you were from missouri i'm like i can't wait to share this episode with the howler because he's not listening he doesn't tune in like every friday when the paranormal episodes drop okay. to try to get us to change his mind he just doesn't even bother <laughs> listening. So, so I can't wait to send this to him and say, hey, look, here's what's going on in Missouri. Uh, maybe uh, maybe you might want to do some checking. 
you know, and, and see what's going on. So, so I'm counting on you, Dennis, that through this episode to change the howler's mind. That's what we're, that's what we're aiming for. Well, we'll give them some food for thought. <laughs> so, so Dennis, as we, as we talked off the air, I, I mean, there's, I don't even know where to start with uh, some of your experiences and, and childhood on up through adulthood. So I want you to start at, at where you believe the beginning is. And let's just, let's just go through this uh, journey together. I'd be happy to. Um, I guess, you know, I could tell a little bit about myself. I was uh, born and raised right here in St. Louis, Missouri. And, and, you know, even though it's a big city, um, I was fortunate enough to spend my summer months and many weekends in rural Missouri with uh, extended family members, uh, great aunts, great uncles, grandma, grandpa, uncles and aunts. So, you know, back in, and I'm, I'm 64. So in the 60s, you know, there were, um, Missouri was quite rural. You didn't have to go too terribly far outside of St. Louis to hit the country life. And, uh, you know, we had a, and we continue to have a, a great deal of forested area in Missouri. Uh, so I spent a lot of time in the woods and in these rural places. And, and I was very lucky because I had the best of both worlds. I, I grew up in the city, uh, but yet I had access to all this country life. And believe me when I tell you, I utilized it every chance I got, every moment, every minute that I could get into the woods. That's what I would do. And uh, as far as my family's concerned, I, I was born into a family of esoterics. So we, everybody in my family had some sort of gift or experience. You know, uh, my earliest recollections of family members telling me about their own out-of-body experiences was in the 60s. Um, and I was just a kid, you know, I don't know, four five years old. I tell them it happened to me too all the time. And, and they were very understanding about that. We, uh, my great aunts, they, they kind of came from, uh, the early, uh, part of the 20th century when, uh, the spiritualism was, was, you know, winding down with, with the likes of, uh, Helena Blavatsky and the Theosophical Society. So, you know, they garnered a lot of information and, uh, and practice, uh, from, uh, these these concepts of, of Blavatsky's. And so, the, you know, our house was always filled with uh, adult members doing seances. Now, I, I have one sibling. She and I, my sister, we she and I were never allowed as children to participate in the seances. So even though we were still in the same house while it was going on, we weren't allowed to participate in the seances. But they were commonplace. I mean, I don't even know how many times a week, a month that, you know, that these things were in progress. So it was just a constant thing. Um, let me, I'm going to ask you quick about the family doing a seance. Okay. Yeah. Were you guys, were they just trying to make contact with a, with a, with a certain person or certain uh, spirit that had passed on or were they just, I mean, were these like specific seances for to reach somebody and make contact or they i mean describe exactly what was going on and what the outcome what, like what was the desired outcome and because i think people like it's not like you were you guys sitting in the middle of, of the room with a ouija board or 
with a crystal ball or like what was going on? Oh yeah, sure. I'll talk about that. Um, there was uh, every every session had a target, so it wasn't something random. We didn't want to open up a portal, you know, and have some energy yeah. in that, that we weren't aware of or anything like that. It was uh, usually they wanted to talk to a discarnate relative, somebody had passed on, and um, they would all sit around uh, the kitchen table. Uh, there was really nothing on the table, maybe a candle. Um, and everybody would hold hands and the, the room would be dark. And of course we were, uh, ushered out of the room and they had to go play somewhere else. But my sister and I would always, you know, peek around the corner and see what they were doing. You know, we, we wanted to know as well, my sister and I, and she's very gifted. Um, she has a lot of precognitive dreams and she has communicated with deceased relatives as have I. But, um, so in the seances, there was always a target. There was nothing random. Uh, you know, they were pretty knowledgeable people. They, this was not something, you know, it wasn't a parlor trick. Um, it wasn't a get together on a Saturday night just to have some fun. Um, I remember when we, I was a teenager by this time and we were allowed to sit in on the seances and my great aunt had passed. So the, this particular seance was to try to contact her spirit. And to see if she, you know, uh, if she would respond. And my uncle, a very receptive person, uh, as far as energies, uh, he was leading the seance. And I'm telling you what, it was like, it, it was unbelievable, really. It was like clockwork. Um, you know, they opened up, they opened up the seance with a particular saying um, and, you know, expressed their desire to communicate with my great aunt. And my great and my uncle said at that moment, um, if you are, you know, if your presence is here with us, you know, show us a sign. And as soon as he said sign, the telephone rang and I and I reached up and grabbed the telephone. It was still an old rotary phone, you know, on the wall. Um, and I and I answered it. Nobody on the line. It was just it was just a buzz. You know, it was just nothing. And uh, so we took that as a sign. He was there. He uh, became. He became very upset uh, emotionally uh, and started crying. And I, and I don't really know what had taken place because uh, we were all there at the table and we were all holding hands. But something he, he either was overwhelmed by her presence um, or, you know, I, I'm speculating, but he removed himself from the table at this point and uh, locked it. He ran out of the house and locked himself in the car. It was about eight o'clock at night. And he didn't come back into the house and, until about uh, seven o'clock the next morning. So, but we never could get out of him, you know, what he experienced um, and what made him behave that way. But these are, so to answer your question, uh, <laughs> uh, there was always a target. We always had a target in mind. Well, because I hear, you know, I've heard from psychic mediums and stuff that say, you know, sometimes you, you shouldn't put too much trust in you know if you're trying to contact somebody oh yeah you're talking about interlopers yeah that somebody might just lie to say hey look these people are looking for aunt bertha okay i'm I'm gonna pretend to be aunt bertha so i can you know maybe i can get something out of this well here's my thought on that you know people unfortunately in this world today people subscribe to fear Mm -hmm. so when you when you subscribe to fear then you are going to attract 
fearful things. But what people need to realize is we are so very powerful, but they don't think they are. People don't think they are. They, they, they grow up learning a certain thing or a certain way of life or a certain belief system, and they discount themselves. So in our family, and I'm speaking from the earliest of ages, you know, I'm, I'm going to use four, but I have recollections of before the age of four. But four is a good start, a place to start, because it always seems that children uh, start talking about their past lives or experiencing uh, OBEs or many different things. And they're wide open. As, as a four-year-old, your, your mind is not fettered with nonsense from the mundane plane. And so you're receptive and you're, you're like an open channel. So you do see th these things and you do witness these things. Um, oh, no, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> uh, anyway, you know, um, we were talking about seances and, and things like that, but, uh, yeah, about being, yeah. I mean, you, you were saying about being fearful. Oh, uh, that's is, it. Is, so yeah. The people make a mistake. People make, you know, and, and it's entertaining to hear these, all these spooky stories, you know, and all these demons and all that. Listen. It may sound arrogant of me to say this, but I am Godzilla and the rest is Japan. I play no games on the other side. There's not a demon or a ghost or anything that's going to harm me. Guaranteed. And that's what people need to know in their own mind. You have an immortal soul or whatever you want to call it you have an animating life force in you it is immortal you cannot be harmed you have to kill your fear and everything that you've learned on the mundane plane otherwise you're just going to subs keep subscribing to it and guess what the thought your mind your thought is the most powerful thing that you have in existence so if you think fear, you're going to experience fear. So we didn't worry about, I mean, I was introduced to, I seen plenty of ghosts in my life. These kids, as a child, my sister and I were just dumbfounded at the activity that we experienced all through our whole life. Uh, but I mean, especially as children, but we learned very, very early on, no fear. You cannot fear these things, you know, because if you do, then these energies certainly would love to feed on that. That's the mistake people make. And they, for some reason, time after time, they adhere to this. I have never seen um, a spirit that was ghoulish, you know, that, that was, you know, as an example. I had a friend. She was a beautiful person. She died in a fire. And it took me a couple of years, and I'm an adult by this time. It took me a couple of years to find her in an out-of-body experience. But I searched for her purposely because I wanted to see if she was okay. And when I saw her, and this is, boy, this gets interesting because there, I have been out so many times on the other side. Now, listen, there's, I know, what I know is a speck in the universe, but I do know some things, and it, even though it's not much, I do know this. 
Uh, and it's just my reality, you know, because there are plenty of people out there that have never experienced things like this. Here's my thought, and I'm going to get back to the woman who died in the fire. When you die, when you shed your physical body, you take with you your psychological makeup. So your consciousness is awake and your ego self is intact at that moment. So whatever belief system you adhere to, whatever, whatever psychological factors you have running around inside your brain, you take that with you. So if you're a fearful person, you know, this is, this is where the concept, now this is just my opinion. This is where the concept of heaven and hell came from. Certainly you can create your own hell. Look, if you were a bad person uh, in, uh, you know, in your physical life and you were negative and you, you pushed out all this gross, slow-moving, low-undulating energy, where do you expect to gravitate to when you die? You know, so you're going to, you are the dispenser of your own punishment. And that's why you got to get it right in your head before you die, if you can. Otherwise, you're bound to repeat the process and that gets into reincarnation and everything. But anyway, I digress. Um, so, yeah, let's not, let's not take that hard left just yet. Okay, so, so, fear, so, so my sister and I were taught not to fear these things, right? And, yeah. and as a child, as a child, certainly, you, you know, uh, you are fearful because it's unexplained. It's unexplained phenomena that has taken place. Uh, but you quickly get a grip on it, especially if you're in a family like mine, uh, you know, and so then you understand it and you, you no longer fear it. So well, well the, I think the biggest and that goes hand in hand with the thing that I think, um, you know, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Okay, you fear stuff that you don't understand, because it, the more you understand, the less you fear. Okay, that's what I'm. That's kind of what I'm hearing from you, and that's kind of the way it is in the world. If you know, people say, "Oh, I could never do that." That just scares. Well, once you know, no matter what it is, whether it's riding a motorcycle, uh, you know, mm -hmm. write, writing uh, a screenplay, or you know, just whatever, skydiving, anything that you choose to do. Once you understand it and understand what can, you know, go good, go bad or whatever, you can kind of face your fear and conquer it, I think, is kind of, um, I mean, I think that's kind of a good way to look at things, right? I you mean, know, um, yeah, and, and you should. You should face your fears. I mean, of course, we all have them. I had them also, and I still, I still have some fears today. Um, but let me, let me give an example, just a quickie. As, as an example, we learn many things on the mundane plane. We learn about gravity. If you fall, it's going to hurt, man. You know, so you don't want to fall, right? You're going to try to protect yourself or, or you're going to try to avoid tripping or falling or something like that. In an out-of-body experience, you tend to take those psychological factors with you until you realize that they don't apply on the other side. So you have to unlearn things and you have to kill fear. Otherwise, you stunt your growth and your, and your movement forward consciously. So anyway, uh, getting back to interlopers and spooks and things like that, we, um, you know, we had a lot of poltergeist activity in our home. Um, that's because some of the members, like, like uh, you and I talked before the show about, you know, did any of them 
participate in any dark magic or anything like that. And, and certainly there were a few members in the family that did. And as a result of that, I mean, you're talking about these gross, these gross energies, these negative energies. Uh, these things have a way of manifesting. You know, I think poltergeist activity is brought on by a human living being. I don't, I don't necessarily think they're a demon. You know, uh, they if, if you're psychologically disturbed or, or and, you know, to whatever extent, if you have if you're in turmoil consciously or you're you know, you're wrestling with yourself as far as trauma or, or whatever the case may be, that can manifest. You know, that can manifest into objects. You can you can push that energy into things and things start to happen. And I think that's well, what I, I think that's what a lot of times they when they go in and are investigating poltergeist activity, it a lot of times centers around adolescent pre, you know, uh, kids who are getting ready to start puberty, basically. Oh, yeah. Because of all those emotions and energies and turmoil, like you said, within the within those kids. I mean we all remember what it was like to go through puberty and imagine if, if it went to another level where you started shooting glasses off the table and opening cupboards and, you know, making the house rock, you know, that's, yeah, I'm right there with you on that. I think, like you said, I don't think we understand how powerful our brain really is. And our, and our, our, it's just, yeah, it's crazy. I think if, you could probably uh, accidentally do some stuff if you could tap into <laughs> tap into all the power that is up there, you know, and uh, you know the other subconscious planes that you could uh, uh, get into, you know. Oh, you could get into them. There, I mean, there's a, <laughs> who knows how many there are. I've been to many different levels uh, or frequencies, whatever you want to call it. But it's, I'm sure it's, it's nothing in the whole scope of things. You know what I mean? Even, even though I've experienced it throughout my life, there is so much more. And it's like a big, giant rabbit hole. You know, you just got to keep going and going and going, really. You know? So, so now you and your, so, so let's, let's get to stuff, I think, maybe, I mean, because, I mean, this is some fascinating stuff. I think this is almost, I think some people almost can't comprehend. like. Yeah what you're what you're talking about you know this is this is like not like you said you you guys weren't the normal family down the street so what we were more so like what, without the without the spooky effects <laughs> without the cool without the cool mansion is that what you're that's saying? right that's right <laughs> so so like when you say you and your sister uh, experienced ghosts or spirits yeah. like so, so you guys had obviously being exposed to the family that you were and the belief system. It, did it freak you out at first, or oh, yeah. you learned you know, when, and, and understood it? Well, sure. I mean, you know, when you're young, you do have these fears. I mean, my, all right, here I had a reoccurring nightmare on the daily. Um, when I and this is all centers around the age of man, said like between four and six years old. Um, a full-sized ostrich with a man's head on it would walk down the hallway to my bedroom, the only room in the back of the house, mind you. And uh, if that wasn't creepy enough, um, but every night this ostrich would walk into my room and bend over and stare at me with this man's head on its neck. And I'm just, I got the covers over my head and I'm shaking like a leaf. Now that, you know, 
that's that's a reasonable fear to have as a four to six year old. You know, you don't usually see that thing walking down the street. <laughs> so, um, but it was a reoccurring nightmare. Yeah, we did have fears. My, my sister was pretty brave. I, I got to be honest with you. She's only a year older than I am, but she was uh, remarkably brave during a lot of these things. Uh, and uh, of course, she was always protective of, of her baby brother. That's me. Um, so I think that she had a role that she, she took on this role as protector, but I, you know, I soon grew out of the fear. Um, the poltergeist activity remained for many, many years. Uh, we had, you would see black shadows, you know, floating down the hallway. Um, it would tear, it literally tore the doors, the, a, a door off its hinges and slinged it down the hallway, down the basement steps before trash in the entire basement. And it was only my mother and my sister and myself in the home. And uh, we, you know, we just stayed upstairs because we, well, we didn't want to go down there with all that, all that commotion going on. But afterwards, of course, we went down there and everything was just, you know, all, all the drawers in the kitchen were open, like the classic scene where everything comes flying out and it was laying on the floor, you know, and then you'd hear footsteps upstairs while you were downstairs and they'd also come up the basement steps. Um, the, the basement, when I say basement, it was, it was finished. So it wasn't like it was a storage basement or anything like that. That was, it was finished. It actually had a kitchen and a, a living room area and a dining area downstairs in the basement. And, and that sounds fancy, but it wasn't, uh, you know, we lived on the North side in a, in a two family brick flat that was built in the early 1900s. So, and even had an old, and then there was a door behind the kitchen where it went into the old basement proper, which was stonework. And uh, there was an old uh, room where they shoveled coal down through the sidewalk. So we always called that the dungeon, you know. So we grew up in these old creepy places. Um, but yeah, the poltergeist activity. And then, of course, you had uh, visitations from discarnate humans. They would always come, you know. I mean, they would, I guess because as children, my sister and I, we hadn't, we hadn't clouded our minds yet. You know, it was all a wonder, you know, it was just all a wonder. So we didn't, we didn't carry weight with us. Like, like adult people, you know, we were free to experience ghosts. My sister saw a man come through the wall dressed in a sixties suit with a, a, a black fedora and a suitcase. And as he came through the wall, he, looked around, shook his head, and walked right back through the wall. Um, I saw a disembodied head floating in the window um, just outside my, my bedroom window. And I say disembodied because the, the window that the head appeared in was at least eight feet off the ground. So I didn't think that there was a body associated with that head unless it was an extremely tall human being. Uh, so, you know, we witnessed a lot of those things, uh, apparitions, uh, people, uh, discarnate, discarnate family members. Um, this is, let me see, maybe 25 years ago, my, my mother and I were called down to uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. We have family in Shreveport, and one of our relatives died, and they asked me to be a pallbearer. So we went down there and uh, stayed, we were asked to stay in their home, we had rented the hotel. They said, no, you stay in our home. So I was sleeping in one of the guest bedrooms that night uh, before the funeral. And 
my my second cousin, the one who passed away, her name was Dottie. She was almost a twin of my mother. They when they were younger, you couldn't tell them apart, but they were very very close. And then of course, as you get older, you know everybody goes on with their lives and things. But they they did keep in touch. So I'm sleeping in this guest bedroom one night, and the bed, and I didn't want to disturb a thing. I really tried to be you know just as uh, courteous and polite about not disrupting anything because the room was all made up. You know how older people, they keep their rooms real nice, you know? Oh, yeah. And yeah. So I just, I just unfolded one side of the, of the cover and just kind of slipped in. So the pillows on my right were all tucked under the, the cover and everything. And, um, and I thought, well, I'll be fine because I sleep still on my back. And suddenly the bed just starts shaking wildly. And I'm hearing, Dennis, Dennis. You know, and it's Dottie, the, my second cousin. She she actually came back to tell me that uh, she had a message for her her husband, who was also in the home, and, and he she wanted him to know that he was that she was okay. And uh, I said, Dottie, what are you doing? You know, it was just really strange, and I hadn't had a manifestation uh, uh, and an apparition, you know, manifestation of a spirit that you could see. Uh, in quite some time, and I'm an adult at this point, and it only as a child that I really uh, get those uh, visuals, you know. Now, so was of, so was Dottie one of the family members that was that were at your house taking part in seances and stuff? Not really. We had we have a family down in Shreveport, and they're they're more conservative. You know, they've always been more conservative and religious, uh, but deep down in the underlying current, they knew, you know. Uh, I'm, I know Dottie did. Uh, that's why she came to me. Uh, but they never spoke of it. You know, they were they they grew up fairly religious, uh, and so we were still the odd family. You know, and and when I went down there, they even called me a damn Yankee. I said I live in St. Louis. Right, <laughs> 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 loud man. You know, uh, but you know, so we were we were kind of like. You know that that those family members that nobody really got into depth in conversation about. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, those are the Menards. You know those strange people up there, but uh, family nonetheless. But Dottie knew. Dottie knew, and her mother knew too. Uh, they they just didn't say. They just didn't say because of their upbringing. You know. So so when you okay. So when you went. I'm assuming you went then to her husband and said, hey, Dottie visited me last night, said she was okay. Yeah, you know, I didn't feel it was the right time. I got to be honest with you. Um, I, I said something was not, it wasn't the right time to tell him. He was, he was just um, not in a good, good state. And being, being such a conservative fellow, you know, I, I held off for a little bit and then I told him. Uh, but he, you know, he didn't really say much when I, when I told him, uh, kind of brushed the comment aside, you know, but I, t I told him, I said, I, I have to tell you this, uh, because this is what she wanted me to do. But, and then I, and then I went on to tell him, and I might've made a mistake about this because they were so conservative that he had a window of opportunity to see her if he, if he actually wanted to. And who knows? I never... You know, I didn't get an opportunity to talk with him much after that, uh, and he never brought it up. But I wanted him to know that Dottie was, you know, sh he could communicate with her. 
if that's what he wanted to do. And they really loved one another. They spent their entire life together. I mean, I don't know, probably 45, 50 years. So when you're that close, you develop a, a you develop a, 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 what do you call it? A, a link, a, a bond, you know, or a, yeah. a, oh, yeah. a board, yep. as, they, as they call it in the modern times. You know, there, you, you do have a connection. So maybe, did he? I don't know. I, I really don't know if he ever went on to see her or not, because he just recently passed away a couple of months ago. And I didn't get a chance to talk to him about it. But, you know, these these things, these occurrences, I mean, we moved from this particular place because it was so, it was just so freaky. Stuff flying around the house all the time. I mean, every day something was being knocked over or pulled out of a drawer or, you know, um, I didn't hear many voices, but I did hear a lot of footsteps and shadow figures and disco- you know, disembodied <laughs> Do you re- do you realize how silly that sounds that the people talking to dead people are freaked out? I just uh, I'm just putting that out there. What are you, what are you saying? Like <laughs> dead people is unusual. <laughs> I'm just saying that people are like people got to be listening, going, "No, wait a second. These guys are talking to dead people, and they're freaked out over some, you know, noises." I mean, come on. oh, I get you, I get you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's well, there you go. That's the unseen. You know, I mean, you know, hey, know yourself. In fact, I've said that many times whenever I've had activity uh, a couple of years back, right in this very room. Um, I, I walked in and I, I walked to the end of the room and at the far end of the room, something just just came right off my my shelf. And I turned around. And I said, would you mind, you know, showing yourself so I can see who you are? You know, but no, of course, they didn't. But um and, you know, it's funny, too, because you, you, you grow up like this and you think that this stuff is going to stay with you or you're always going to be able to see them. And you can't. It's weird. You know, my <laughs> my grandkids come over all the time and, and one is three and and one is one. Now, my mother, uh, she just passed uh, a year ago in June and she's been here on many occasions. And my wife's mother, I believe, is also hanging around here specifically for these grandkids because the three-year-old and the one-year-old, they'll look up at the ceiling and they'll go, oh, hi, all the time. And I'm thinking to myself, why can't I see them? You know, how come I cannot see them? I have seen them before. Why can't I see them now? You know? And that's, and those kids are totally just doing that. I mean, it's not like you guys are having seances around the table right now, oh, no, right? No. Yeah, they're, just, they're just, that's the innocent of youth. And they're, it is. Like you said, they're unclouded mind and they're seeing, okay. There's no wow. doubt they're seeing somebody. You know, and, and and I don't have um, malevolent beings in this place. There, everything that happens here is is light. You know what I mean? It's it's benevolent. Um, but the but I do have in the kitchen. I have a uh, someone or something uh, that likes to disturb my kitchen quite a bit, and I call him just that as a joke, Mister Chuckles. You know, and so every time there's a noise that goes on in the kitchen, I go, Mr. Chuckles, you know, and I keep waiting for a response. <laughs> kind of joke, you know? Now, listen, Chuckles. are you sure it's not your mother-in-law? Oh, it's, listen, it's just... it could very well be. And it also <laughs> could be my very own mother, uh, my great niece. You know, they have the like I'm a tech idiot, but my my great niece has uh, some kind of an app that you can download on your phone that registers heat signatures or energy of some sort. Right. You, mm-hmm. I don't know, if it's clear or whatever. But anyway, uh, 
two weeks after my mother passed, we were here discussing, you know, what we should do next things. And my great niece is walking around and she captures, this is on video, mind you, a purple image looking out the kitchen window. And it is, the silhouette is identical. It's my mother. She's looking out the kitchen window. And you could hear my great niece gasp when she, because she went from room to room and she's just all over the place. And then she finally goes into the kitchen and she, she you know, she, she lets out a big gasp. And right there is the image, a silhouette of purple. It was purple in color. Um, silhouette of my mother looking out the kitchen window and it's on we had it on uh video so you know things like that happen all the time um oh, it's it regularly seen you know well okay so man this time is flying by i'm looking at the clock i'm like wow so it's like a million i i think there's a million roads we could go down but i do want to get so, but we want to get to the we want to get to the big guy. Okay. So the, the, I want to get to the big guy in here because I think you got some pretty good experiences to share about. Um, and and I think I want to see how this all ties in with what you've already been talking about because I think maybe there's uh, we'll see we'll see. Oh, so oh yeah you you know where I'm going you're, you're picking up um, what I'm putting down yeah. I know. How much time do you have? Oh, we I mean, we got a good half hour. So okay. Let's, yeah, let, yeah. let me let me explain about the Bigfoot then. Um, my experiences actually started in about the mid '60s, and okay. I told you before I was I was really fortunate to be able to to have access to rural areas of Missouri um, regularly, regularly and routinely. I would stay with my great uncle who I referred to as my grandpa Jim, but he was actually my great uncle and my grandma Pat, my great aunt. They had felled in the 30s, they felled the trees and built a two-room log cabin by hand. And I'm talking about with the horsehair chinking and everything. It was it was rural. You know, there was uh we didn't have indoor plumbing in it. We we had it there was an outhouse. You had to go to a cistern to get the water and bring it back in the house and you you know you either bathed in a galvanized tub on the floor. Are you rinsed off as you poured a bucket of water in the sink? How how was the Wi-Fi? How was the Wi-Fi? <laughs> yeah, that's that's funny. Um, <laughs> you you described that, and okay, that's not that long ago. Okay, and, no, and, it is. And, and, and to think that you, if you took kids these days and put them in that sort of environment, that sort of situation, they'd lose their minds. They wouldn't know what to do. Oh, yeah, they go stark raving mad, probably. Yeah. Uh, but we loved it, ate it up. I mean, it was to us, it was a wonderland to be able to experience these kind of things. Um, there wasn't any. And, and of course, you you know, now when I was a kid, we, like you said, there was there was no technology. A good cardboard box is all you needed. I mean, you could make anything out of a cardboard box, man. That's what we used, you know? So we used our imagination. My sister and I frequently played in the woods, which was 20 feet from the cabin, and it was expansive. I mean, you're running down into St. Uh, so this was in uh, Kinsey, Missouri, which is kind of an unincorporated area of Bloomsdale. And then you've got further down, you further south or southeast, you've got uh, St. Genevieve. 
And then it just gets more rural from there. So it was back then, it was all rural. It was a two lane blacktop that they lived on. And I think that the closest neighbor was probably, I'm guessing, like a mile away, you know. And here we are in uh, in this little two room log cabin, which backed up to the woods. And the woods uh, was my playground and my sister's playground. But the funny thing is, my great aunt always kept an eye on us. She said, you be, when it starts to get dusk, you come back out of those woods because Granny Witch or Baba Yaga is going to get you. And so, you know, she tried, to, she tried to instill enough caution or fear in us to get us out of the woods for some reason. So at mid, so I would say in the middle of the night, and this has happened on many occasions, the Bigfoot must have routinely come through the woods very in, in close proximity to the cabin because it would always be banging on the trees, right? I, I got my interest in Bigfoot. And I didn't know the term Bigfoot until probably in the late 70s, maybe. But back then, the, the hook for me was Yeti. You know, uh, when, when Marlon Perkins and Edmund Hillary went to Nepal to prove or disprove the existence of Yeti, I was hooked, dude. I read, you know, I read everything about it. And once I read about that, you know, one thing leads to another. Then you start looking at, uh, you know, history, the history of mankind. And, and, you know, one thing just leads to another. And, I, and I'm telling you, when I, when I told you earlier, off, uh, off air here, we didn't think about mundane things. We thought about the unexplained, the unknown, what's on the other side, you know, what's life like after you die all those things that was and so and so it was with the um i don't even know when the term cryptozoological you know whatever cryptozoology came into being but those unknown creatures like the yeti to me i was hooked dude i i was convinced that the yeti existed i mean the idea that hillary and perkins got funded to go to go there to to check it out for themselves you know of course uh perkins he was against it but Hillary is like, eh, I don't know. I mean, if you look at the Shipton uh, footprints and everything up on the Himalayas, uh, you know, something was there. And of course, they tried to say, well, the sun, you know, broadened the, the print and it was just a bear stepping in a bear track. And then you got you got guys like uh, Brian Sykes, uh, who wrote the, the Seven Daughters of Eve. Um, he was the the geneticist they brought in for. Uh, Utsi, I guess that's how you pronounce it. Remember the frozen man they found in the Italian Alps? So he did the DNA sequencing on, on this frozen man. And I think he was like 5,000 years old. So he started a project uh, that uh, it called for samples from around the globe to be sent to him so he could test them for, uh, you know, to see whether or not they had an unknown animal or whatever. And this was all based on the Yeti and Bigfoot in North America and Sasquatch. And, you know, he came up with a common thing. He even went into Russia and uh, told these people, uh, you know, these big uh, uh, Amnesty researchers over in Russia that, you know, their samples were were something entirely different, which I found extremely intriguing. But I'll tell you one in a minute. But anyway. Um, oh, shoot. So we're talking Bigfoot. Anyway, so I was hooked. I was talking I was hooked with Hillary. Uh, I can tell. I can tell. Listen, I can tell you're enthusiastic about the subject. Trust me. Oh my God! Me. I, I know. I've never, <laughs> I can never myself, and I and I don't know how anybody could. I hear. I hear all these people on podcasts 
well, you know, it just stepped out in front. How could you even, how could you even just talk like that, man? I mean, like, man, you won't believe this thing jumped out. So anyway, so this was my interest. So they routinely knocked on trees behind our cabin. And uh, we couldn't figure out what the hell it was uh, for the, to save our lives. Pileated woodpecker at night banging on a tree. I mean, they're big woodpeckers, right? But uh, no, probably not. Uh, some kind of a rogue logging operation. I don't think so. You know, maybe they were felling trees with an axe or something in the middle of the night. Like rogue. Thing. Now, that is the first time I've ever heard that phrase, a rogue logging operation. Like, well, yeah. I can, <laughs> I never, like, that, now that is, that might be the strangest thing I've heard. On this well, whole, like, what is a rogue? Like, why well, would you have a rogue? <laughs> like, I could make moonshiners out there. Somebody, you know, deer hunting illegally at night. A rogue logging. That's well, great. Well, I love well, it. Well, <laughs> qualify that. Uh, here is because you can have property, large tracts of land here in Missouri, and people will come onto your property and fell your trees without your knowledge. And like walnut, if they find a stand of walnut, they'll take it, you know, or some like for like to use it to build furniture and stuff. Well, you know, it's very profitable. It's like an industry. They'll they'll come on your land. They'll take your trees. I got to admit that right there. I thought I was talking to the howler because that sounded like something he'd say a rogue logging operation. I got (laughs) to I got you, 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 you somehow subconsciously merged with the with the howler on. Okay. So we, oh my gosh, so it's a Vulcan mind meld. Yes, let's get back. Okay, all right, we're back on track here. Yeah, so, you know, I, and I'm running these scenarios through my mind, even as a kid and up into my teens, trying to figure out just what the hell is going on in the woods. And then it dawned on me, my great aunt wanted us out of there for a reason, because they roamed around at night in the back of the cabin, you know, just in the woods, not too far off from the cabin. And she did not want us to be abducted. So she made sure that we were out of the woods at dusk. And if, and if we weren't, she even dressed up one time. She put a big black shawl over her face and it hung down over her body. And she snuck around into the woods and came at us from the interior of the woods to chase us out. And we're just kind of scared to scare you back home. Huh? Yeah, yeah like, at home. And um, so anyway, let's fast forward. Missouri had a famous, uh, I'm going to say Bigfoot because that's what it was, uh, sighting in 1972. And it was called the Momo sighting. Oh, yeah, the Momo. Yeah. All right. So, you know, and that all that all took place in Louisiana, Missouri, a beautiful ride from St. Louis up the 79 corridor that just parallels the Mississippi River all the way up. It's gorgeous. Um, but anyway, so at that time I was spending the summer months, this was July of 1972. I am staying with my aunt and uncle in what was then rural Wentzville up North. And it was just a little West of the 79 corridor and just East of, or South of Louisiana, Missouri. So. You know about the Momo incident, and you've probably heard the stories. But I can tell you, this to this day, that area still has sightings of Bigfoot, and and here's the reason why: you've got the Mississippi River, so you've got you've got a water source, 
um, and a guide, I guess, if you wanted to use it, you know, like a, like they're using maps or whatever. But you've got plenty of wooded area in that region. And you've got plenty of deer and other animals to eat. So you've got food, water, shelter. What else do you need? Right. So it's a major to me, it's a major thoroughfare for the Bigfoot to either come from the north, down south or vice versa. Um, but in 72, there was a big flap in Louisiana, Missouri. People, uh, there were many sightings. But what they didn't realize is before all that went down, I'm on my uncle's farm in Wentzville, Missouri. We're spending the summer months with my sister, cousin, aunt and uncle and myself. And we're sitting around the kitchen table. It's like 10 o'clock at night. And all of a sudden the chickens go crazy. He's got a coop not too far from the house. So he goes out the back uh, door of the kitchen with a flashlight. And he's out there for, you know, I don't know, a minute. And he comes back in. And now my, grand, my, my uncle was very dark. Uh, he, he was actually detained in Mexico. They didn't want to let him back into the United States, even though he was born here. Um, but they thought he was uh, trying to, you know, as an illegal, uh, coming into the States. But, uh, so he was a very dark complected person. However, when he came into the kitchen, he was pasty white. I mean, white, white and sweating bullets. And his eyes were as big as dollars. And he goes, you're not going to believe this, but just some big white. And he said, white hairy creature got to be eight foot tall seven eight foot tall trying to get to the chickens i flashed the flat you know i put the flashlight on it and it was it had its back towards my uncle and he said it turned around but it had to turn like its whole torso upper torso to to kind of look at him and when he shined a flashlight in its eyes it turned and ran down the gravel driveway was up on a hill and he said it went down on all fours briefly on all fours shot across the road cleared a four-foot barbed wire fence with the grace and agility of an athlete and cut a diagonal path into the woods. Now, he is freaking out. So we grab a couple 30-30s, he and I, and we're out the door, and we actually gave chase. So we crossed the road. You know, we had to go under the barbed wire uh, and into the cornfield, but you could clearly see something just mowed down the corn, headed off into the woods. So we got to the wood line. I went left. He went right. And I guess I went about 100 yards in and put my back against a tree. And I'm telling you something I never heard. Well, I actually did recently, but I'll tell you about that. The forest was so silent. There was no bugs, no crickets, no frogs, no nothing. Nothing was stirring. I mean, there wasn't even a wind. And uh, I thought that was kind of strange. So I'm sitting there. I didn't hear anything. I didn't see anything. Uh, and about, and I'm out there for about 45 minutes and I finally hear my uncle calling and he's off to the right somewhere. And I guess he made his way back up to the field, the cornfield. And so I come out of the woods and I said, what'd you see? What'd you, what happened? What'd you do? Pretty much the same thing I did went in. He said he saw some tracks initially, but he got to, he, he became afraid and didn't follow him very far. He said he went in about a hundred yards, put his back against the tree. Same as me. So we came back to the house and we told everybody and they all started laughing. Right. They're laughing at him because it, it is, in fact, a, a truth that my uncle was a prankster and my aunt thought he was just pranking, you know, pulling a prank. There's no way he was pulling a prank, man. You should have seen his face. And we both had loaded 3030s and he could hardly speak. So I believed every word he said. He said it was white, massive, you know, seven, eight foot tall. Uh, he said the hair on it was kind of wavy, white hair. Uh, maybe three inches long, something like that. So 
guess what? This happened a week or two before the sightings up in Louisiana, uh, Louisiana, Missouri. So when the national news broke, I'm like, that's it. You know, this is this is because but the ones in the ones in Louisiana where they were like black, red and brown color, you know, the ones that were spotted. Um, so this one was very unusual and that it was white. And the idea that it went down on, he described it going down on all fours and then having this just like movement of a, of a professional athlete. So graceful uh, that stuck with me. And then I read Lauren Coleman's book decades later about uh, Bigfoot, the true story of apes in America. And in it is an article about, or, or you know, a couple of paragraphs about the Momo sightings. And also down in Cairo, Illinois, which is just a, you know, stone throws or crow flies uh, from where I was at, somebody saw in July of 1972, a white Bigfoot, although nobody called it a Bigfoot, you know, nobody called, used the term Bigfoot, uh, but they saw a white creature down in Cairo, Illinois. And if you're a local down there, they call it Cairo. Um, but so, I mean, I was absolutely enthralled and hooked. I was already hooked about these creatures anyway. And I, I knew just intuitively that these creatures existed. They have to exist. Um, well, did you think, like, when you saw white, did you think, oh, my gosh, it, we've got a Yeti? Like, cause that's... Well, was because, you know, there was no separation for me back then between a Yeti and a Sasquatch or a Bigfoot or a Skookum or whatever you want to call it, Chiatanka, you know, whatever names they gave them. To me, it was all the same type of being. And you got these people out there that subscribe to, you know, there's one camp that subscribes to the Gigantopithecus theory. I don't. I'm going to say right now that these beings are people and modern day humans, sapiens, 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 sapiens better broaden their idea of what it is to be human. Because when Sykes did the DNA on all these samples that came in from North America and around the world, he says, ah, oh, it's tainted with human DNA. I don't know, Brian, you might want to think about that a little bit. How about this? How about that we share some of their DNA? How about that? You know, I think that they are, number one, they're people. Number two, they may very well have been the first people. And, you know, we didn't, we didn't come out of the box looking like we do now. You know, and this whole evolutionary thing, that's for people who want to consider that, I guess. But uh, so the Bigfoot. <laughs> So the story broke two, about two weeks later about this incident up in Louisiana, Missouri, and said, man, we had one, a white one on our farm, you know, two weeks prior to that. And, and the farmer across the road, he said that his cattle went missing, you know, something was stealing his livestock, and you heard little buzzes around the community, and it wasn't a, it was rural, so, I mean, when I say community, I'm talking about rural place, you know, like Farmer Joe down the lane here says that his pig went missing, or somebody said their cow went missing. And uh, so I connect with the incident in my uncle's farm with what was happening just a stone's throw away up in Louisiana, Missouri. To this very day, there's a conservation area up off of 79 called Ted Shanks Conservation Area. And there are still sightings to this very day in Ted Shanks. And it's a weird place, man. I went out there in a day and it's all marshlands. Uh, but if you drive further and further back into it, you eventually come up on the Mississippi River. But it is just a weird, weird feeling to be there. 
you feel like you're being watched, you know? And uh, it's like, yeah, this is kind of creepy out here, you know? It's kind of creepy. And not because it was all closed in, because for the longest time, it's it's an expanse of, of a wide openness. It's open. It's marshland. And it's just, it's amazing. But it's eerie. It's really eerie. Um, so to this day, there's Bigfoot sightings in Ted Shanks on the 79 corridor. Um, so in a roundabout way, my uncle and I were involved in the whole Momo thing. But nobody nobody talked about the other experiences that were taking place at the same time in and around Louisiana, Missouri, only Louisiana, Missouri got the attention. And I don't know why, because it was much more than that. You know, it was much more. Uh, but what's so special about hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas. Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. I... All right, let's let's get to the one. Let's get to the biggie. When you get to the biggie, I'll get to the biggie. Let's. Hey, I'm here for the biggie and the smallie. All right, I'm, I'm gonna fast forward from '72 to 2016. So I'm a big hiker, backpacker. Like I said, I enjoy, I enjoy our state. It has much to offer. We have one of the oldest mountain ranges in North America, the St. Francis Mountains, um, and it's it's uh, been a pleasure to traverse all over those mountains in my time. Uh, so I wanted to knock off sections of the Ozark trail. And I asked my brother-in-law if he'd like to come with me and he agreed. So we started training for, you know, because it was a pretty rugged, uh, and, it, and we only spent, uh, you know, plan on spending a couple of days out there, but still it was pretty rugged territory. And we thought, well, let's train for it a little bit. So we, we use some local trails that are in the area just outside of St. Louis to train on. And let me tell you, man, psychologically, physically, these trails are not that bad, but one of them was 14 and a half miles. Uh, but psychologically, it broke me, dude. And I was never broken on a trail ever. But I was just by the end of this trip, uh, which took a lot longer than I thought it would. Uh, psychologically, I just cracked, uh, frustrated at the idea that we're still in the woods well after dark. And um not that that was a problem, but, you know, I anticipated getting out a lot earlier. But anyway, long story longer. So he agrees that he agrees to go on his trip with me. This is uh, this is a uh, southeast Missouri. Um, and it's, I don't know, a 15 mile section of the Ozark Trail. But we wanted to take a couple of couple of days to explore it and, and just relax. You know, a lot of people these days, they seem to be in a hurry and they just blast through these places. And, and why? I don't understand. So we packed in early in the morning and, and there were two other pieces. His, his daughter and her girlfriend were with us. And I had never really prior to this prior to, and, and just prior to going on this trip, hiked with anyone. I went solo, which is probably not the best idea that I've ever done. Cause I got myself into some situations like, man, you could just disappear, dude. Nobody's going to know where you're at, you know? Uh, but that's another story altogether. Uh, 
so we get out, we put it, we put in the system before, and when I say put in the system, I don't mean water, but we in the woods um, before the sun came up and we hiked in for seven hours. And I had a map and I had, I had targeted an area on the map that I wanted to stop and camp. But just on the other side of this mountain, uh, as we were approaching it, I came across a creek that I did not see on the map. And it was full of water and it was just enough space to set up camp. I said, this is perfect, man. We've been hiking for seven hours. Let's call it a day. It was still midday. And... Um, so we unpacked our gear, refreshed our water, made some dinner, shot the bull. And right around, right around dusk, and I'm the oldest one of the group, I said, you know what? I'm going to bed. Y'all have a good time, whatever. So I had, uh, I had stuffed my 9 millimeter in my backpack and uh, my flashlight and my phone. I had no electronics, no illumination. Um, I gave the girls my machete, you know, because we were bushwhacking in some, some parts. And uh, they, had, they had everything. So... I overnighted in a hammock like an idiot. I'm telling you, dude. I mean, I, I was, it was wonderful. I had to be out in 30 seconds. I, I have no problem sleeping anywhere, anytime. I can sleep on a rock and I'll be asleep in 30 seconds. So I'm out. The next thing I know, I'm awakened to pitch blackness. And there's no moon. And this is in October of uh, 2016. It was a moonless night, and I clearly hear bipedal footsteps coming down the eastern mountain. Now, I'm not concerned about it. And you know what the funny thing about this is? I didn't think of Bigfoot one time. I think I mentioned it once during the day. Usually, it's all that's on my mind. Uh, but since I was, it was a different dynamic, I was with other people. We were just, you know, enjoying the scenery and all this, blah, blah, blah. So it didn't really cross my mind. So when I heard these bipedal footsteps coming down the eastern mountain, I'm thinking to myself, somebody is lost out here because I know what is east of us. And that's a 10 hour hike to anything that resembles civilization, 10 hours on foot. So I thought, you know, it's funny. This hiker doesn't have a flashlight. There's no illumination and it is pitch black. You can't see your hand in front of your face. So I'm really not concerned. I got three other people in the camp and we do have weapons, but I don't have any on me. And it's kind of an unwritten rule that if you approach somebody's camp, you better announce yourself. You know, you could get shot easily. Uh, so I'm thinking, all right, this person's lost. Going to walk into camp, announce that he's lost. I, you know, I, I only had it in my mind that men are crazy enough to do something that stupid. Um, but so I'm you don't know, you don't know any women. I'm sorry. I'm, I apologize. I actually <laughs> know a couple of crazy that would do it, but you know, at this point I'm thinking it's a dude and, uh, I'm thinking any, and the footsteps are getting closer and clearly bipedal. I'll say this right now. You can discount any, any quadruped on the planet. We got black bears. We got Puma. We got coyotes. We don't have any wolves, but you know, we got some pretty good predators that are hanging around and the place was was uh, it was evident that wild boar were everywhere along this trail. So it, was, it wasn't a hoofed quadruped. It, it wasn't a four-legged of any kind. Clear, sound, two steps at a time, you know, foot after foot, bipedal. And I wasn't concerned. I'm thinking, well, this guy's going to announce himself when he steps into our camp. 
because that's that's the way he was coming. He was coming into camp, it seemed like. And so I'm just listening. Just, you know, at this point, I'm, there's no concern. And I, I'm very comfortable in the woods. Never been afraid. So it, the footsteps come very close and, and it steps up over a berm and into the proximity of our camp, which is about 30 feet from where my hammock is hanging. So, and then it stops. And I, and I think to myself, okay, where's that announcement? Hey, I'm lost. I need a place to stay. Is it okay if I stay here tonight? You know, whatever. Let me tell you something. That is not what happened. This thing let out the most blood-curdling, mind-blowing, spine-tingling scream you've ever heard in your life. And it cut through me like a knife. And I was frozen, instantly frozen in fear. And I'm, I'm sitting here talking about, you got to kill your fears. Let me tell you something. I felt like a child and I knew exactly what it was because it wasn't my first time in the proximity of them. It was the first time, however, one was bold enough to step into our camp. And it went absolutely out of its mind, screaming at the top of its lungs. It picks up a rock and it's banging it on this tree, just hammering this tree. And then it starts bluff charging us. And I can't see a damn thing, right? I can't see anything, but I know exactly what it is. And I figured I was going to die, not because of the Bigfoot, but because my heart was going to explode. It was so close. And it kept coming at us. And I couldn't say anything. I was, I was paralyzed. I was convulsing, of course, all that adrenaline running through your body. But I couldn't speak. I couldn't think clearly. All I could do was sit there and shake in my hammock like a child. And uh, this thing is just absolutely going nuts. It's screaming at the top. And there's no gravel in the voice. It's pure. It's like a pure frequency, which really freaked me out because it's, you, you could feel it penetrating your body, you know. And I'm thinking any minute my heart is just going to blow through my rib cage and it's going to be all she wrote. So it's bluff charging us. It's coming at us and stepping back and it's banging on this tree and it's screaming at the top of its lungs. Well, I guarantee you, I didn't have the presence enough to say peep, nor could I. If my brain was telling me to speak or run, not happening. I couldn't go anywhere. And where am I going to run to? So I had to just sit there in this hammock. You know, I'm laying in the hammock. And um, while this thing is going absolutely nuts. Now, I don't hear anything from my brother-in-law's tent. And I hear nothing from the girl's tent. And I have no idea what time of night it is. All I know is I can't see, sh I can't see anything. And I know what is in our camp. And you could feel it. Every time it stomped on the ground, you could feel the vibrations just run through you. Not only from its footsteps, but from its vo uh, vocals as well. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to die. My heart is not going to be able to take this. And I had no, I had, you know, I thought in my mind, if I just remain calm, if I can just get a hold of myself, this thing is not going to hurt us. And that's what I was thinking. But then again, you get these wild thoughts, you know, man, you're a goner, dude. Um, so it wasn't happy and it was not going away. It didn't. This thing didn't go away. It kept stomping around, stomping. I have no idea how many minutes passed, how long it was there. It seemed like an eternity. And then it came straight for us. Now, this is the story gets even weirder. It's hard enough to try to convince people that Bigfoot are genuine, but they are. But the story just gets weirder and weirder. 
it came straight for us. And I have a theory about that, and I'll tell you in a minute. It stuck its paw out of its hand, I guess, and raked it across my brother-in-law's tent. You can hear the nylon zipping all the way across the tent. He was maybe 15 feet from where I was at. And then this thing, you know, it never stopped screaming. And it just stomping around and it's coming. It, it zipped across his tent and it came straight over to me. And I'm telling you, it was right on my left side at my head where the hammock was hanging on the tree. And it is absolutely going nuts. And I'm thinking, I can't take this. I can't, I, 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 this is not happening. It's, I, I can't take this. I'm going to die. And I know I wasn't going to die by the Bigfoot. I knew I was going to die by a heart attack. And I was just trying to get my breathing and con- myself under control. And it comes around the tree at the head and stands on my right side. And I'm telling you, this is the weirdest story you're ever going to hear. It stuck its hand out, its left hand, and pops it on my shoulder underneath the hammock and just zips it down my back. And it stomps over in between the girls' tent. And we had built a fire ring from rocks from the creek that day. But the fire, I had no idea what time it was. There was no fire in the pit. This thing starts rooting around in the pit. And it stokes the fire to a full flame. And you could see it standing there, throwing its arms up in the air. It's got its head cocked back, screaming at the top of its lungs. And I'm just like, <laughs> you know, this is all I could do. The only thing I didn't do was suck my thumb like a child. But I'm telling you, I, I couldn't do anything. And it was stomping around the fire like a banshee, just absolutely displeased at our presence, you know. And it circles the fire a couple of times, stomps back over to where the tree is, picks up the rock and it's hammering it in. And this is screaming all the time at the top of its lungs. And then it stomps down into the creek and up on the western mountain. And I'm, I'm like, <laughs> that's all I could do, you know? And I'm thinking, just be calm, just be calm, man. You got to get your heart together because this is, this is a real deal, you know? And uh, I'm just freaking. I mean, I'm, I'm beside myself. I have no control, uh, you know, mind and body disconnect. And, and I'm just laid there and shake like a, I don't even know how to explain it, like a leaf on a tree. And it is still screaming all the while climbing up on the western peak. Now, if that ain't weird enough, it gets weirder. Two big adults, and I have a theory about who was in the camp. Two big adults on the backside of the eastern mountain start wailing those long, low-sounding wails. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they would not stop. They, they were wailing like for an hour. And the one up on the western peak was continuing. This is, uh, it was kind of um, like a yappy whoopy thing you know um but the but you could tell that these had to be adults big ones on the backside of of the eastern mountain because they were just these long whale deep deep booming voice whales way up north some old hound dog chimed in and on on the backside of the of the uh, western peak uh, pack of coyotes started chiming in with these two bigfoot and uh, they would not stop i'm telling you it had to be an hour before they stop the one up on the western peak i don't know where he went uh, and i'll i'll tell you why i say because he, i didn't see breasts on it when the fire came up it was and it was very, and listen this thing was ripped to shreds i mean it you know this was not some steroid muscle freak this was a very tall 
almost sinewy, but had more muscle mass than that. But you could see the striations of the muscles on it. Its hair, you know, wasn't like a bear fur. So it, you could see its skin, which was black, by the way. Its face was black. Um, underneath, the, underneath the hair, which was probably, I don't know, two and a half, three inches long, maybe. So that's really all I could tell. It looked like it had black eyes to me. I didn't see any glowing red eyes or anything like that. Um, but it was what I did see was that it was it, its movement was just like I said about my uncle's. It was so graceful. It was fluid. And the muscles on it were just ripped. There was no fat, no fat content at all. It was ripped to shreds. And, and what do they eat? They, you know, they eat game and, you know, they don't have the diet that we eat, all the sugars and processed crap that we eat. So it's lean as can be, but I'm, it still has some mass, but it's just muscular and it had very long arms, you know, like the classic descriptions of it had long arms um, and no neck. Of course, it, the, the head sat down on the on the shoulders. But let me tell you, I was never so glad for that thing to leave up. Uh, get back to the story so the two on the west on the on the eastern side of the back side of the eastern mountain kept just wailing and i and i guess they were calling junior home and i'm figuring this was a young maybe 20 something male that came into camp gonna uh, ignore the advice of its parents you know and not mess with <laughs> humans, you know? so if that wasn't enough i hear something coming down right behind me on the eastern on the eastern mountain this is coming right down behind me and it stops within 20 feet of me and i had just gotten my heart under control when all that fear and adrenaline just started coming back and shooting through me again and i'm like oh my god there's something behind me and i didn't see what it was but i suspect it was another bigfoot probably a juvenile um and it stopped like within 20 feet of me now i'm freaking out because there's four of them there's two on the backside of the eastern mountain, one on the western peak, and something right behind me. And still nothing, nothing from the tent, um, except for one moment when the girls' tent, when the fire, when the fire stoked up and you could see the Bigfoot screaming around a thing, I heard the girls' tent zip down just slightly and then zip right back up. And that was it. You know, not, other than that, no activity, no sound, no nothing. And um, so... <laughs> so wait, so even after the, it storms out of camp, yeah. everybody's still like, like you still can't get a hold of yourself enough to say, hey, because because you're hearing everything else. Oh, my God. No, I, I there was no there was no speaking for me. My my vocal cords were shut down. I mean, my brain was is, was not in the right state of mind. I, I, there was nothing that could I could do or anything. I couldn't speak. I couldn't walk. But, but at this point, I got to take a leak, right? So this, so I know I'm not going back to sleep. No, wait a second. I'm impressed that you hadn't already all over your Oh, yourself. I thought I would. Go ahead. Let me just say this. When that Bigfoot put its hand on my shoulder, my ass sucked up three yards of nylon fabric. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that itself, man. I'm telling you, dude, that was, that was, now it sounds incredible. And, and I know nobody's going to believe it, but that's okay with me because you know what? They weren't there. <laughs> and it did happen. Um, and it is an incredible story. And I know it is. So long story longer. Finally, the two on the Eastern Mountain, they shut up. For some reason, I forgot all about what was behind me. I'm still concerned about the one that was in camp, really. 
um, thinking it's going to come back or something. So I don't know how much time passed, but I know I got to take a leak. And I was, all I was wearing was wool socks. I had taken my boots off and hung them over a line. And uh, I hang my hammock kind of tight. So, um, I'm, you know, when I hang my feet over, I'm still two and a half, three feet off the ground, I guess, maybe. And so I, I braced myself to, to come up out of the hammock. And I put my feet down and they land on something fuzzy and warm right under my hammock. And now... I'm just absolutely certain a heart attack is imminent. And I'm, I just pulled my feet back up in the hammock and I just curled up in a little fetal position and laid on my side with my hands over my face thinking, what the hell, what next? There's something under my hammock, right? And I know, I know this is crazy and it is crazy. Uh, but this is just, and you were talking about this earlier about, you know, how is it that a person can experience this and that and that? You know what? I think there are some people that experience shit like that and some people that don't. And it's all, you know, it's got it's got to be with your psychological makeup and your belief system or how open you are, or how receptive you might be. You know, I don't know. It's all it's all conjecture, really. But um, it happened. So. I just laid there shaking like like a, you know, like an infant. And I I stayed there forever and I didn't dare move. And then I saw, uh, I don't know how much time passed because I did not sleep. And I saw first light hit the ground and I just bolted. I didn't care if there was anything under the hammock or not at this point. And I don't know how much, how much time had passed because I'm delirious in my mind anyway. Uh, I jump out of the hammock, run over to the fire, get the fire going, stoke it up. And all of a sudden the girls come out of their tent. Uncle Dan, do you think that was a... I said, hell yes, it was a Bigfoot. What are you talking about? So they, here's the weird part, and it's all weird. Here's the weird part. They heard it coming down the Eastern mountain. They heard the footsteps. They heard it come into the camp. They heard it banging on the tree. They did not, however, hear it screaming at the top of its lungs, which was virtually in their face. Now, somehow their brains blocked that shit out. And I have no idea what the process of that is, but there is no way they did not hear it. There's no way, but yet they'll, they'll tell you, uh, we didn't hear it. I'm like, you're out of your mind. So my niece's girlfriend says, well, I heard it coming down the mountain and I heard the two on the Eastern, on the backside of the Eastern mountain, but I got to tell you something. An hour before all this went down, she said they were already in camp checking us out. And she said, they walking around the tents, walking around my hammock, walking around my brother-in-law's tent all over the camp. And I didn't, I didn't hear or see a thing prior to that one coming down the Eastern mountain. So they were already there and they already knew we were there. So my brother-in-law had yet not emerged from his tent. And he always told me if I ever have an encounter with a Bigfoot, I'm never going to talk about it. I'm going, why? Why wouldn't you talk about it? Are you kidding me? It's one of the most phenomenal things to experience in your entire life, and you're not going to talk about it? So the, the girls and I were looking for physical evidence, right? Not that I needed any, but we were looking for, like, hair and shit like that, you know, <laughs> you see on TV and stuff. I did see a scuff mark on some moss on the berm where it came in. And, and my niece found the rock and the giant hole that was smashed into the tree. And she put the rock in the tree like a puzzle piece. And uh, so we knew that that's what he used to bang on the, 
on the tree with. Now, my brother-in-law, he comes, finally comes out of his tent. And I said, you better start talking, man. And uh, he goes, the only thing I'm saying is that something raked his hand across my tent last night. And that's all I'm saying. I said, that's all you're going to say? <laughs> that's all? That's all I get? You know? And to the did he, did, did he, he so did he hear the yell? Or he never, he won't talk. He about would it. never, he would never, never talk about it. Never. And he hasn't to this day. But listen, uh, so here's my theory about what happened that night. Now, the idea that they were in camp before any of us were aware of it, and we were oblivious to all things, except for my, my niece's girlfriend, so she heard him. Um, that's, that's pretty strange. But I figure... The one that came down the Eastern Mountain and stomped into camp was probably a young Bigfoot, maybe in its 20s, all right, out on a Saturday night, doing what it does on a Saturday night, getting a drink from the only water source for the next 10 miles west. And it was heading west. And there aren't, there is no water for the next 10 miles after where we were at. That's why we stopped there. It was the first water we ran across in seven hours. And so... Uh, it probably has a routine, maybe. Um, I figured they live in the area, uh, and it was probably just tripping on its own, you know, thing, doing its own thing, stumbles upon us. Of course, that theory really doesn't hold if you figure they were in camp before, but uh, sees us, is highly displeased that we're in its backyard. And I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere. If you went west, east, and north, you're minimum seven hours to some sort of civilization. If you went, if you went east, you're 10 miles. If you went south, you'd probably get into Arkansas before you come across any civilization. That's how deep we were in. And um, so even though it's a trail, it's not a, it's not like people are there all the time. Oh, hell no. People aren't people. I don't think people got enough balls to be honest with you to stay where we stayed. I mean, not many people, there are people, you know, sure. There are a lot of people. To do that, but no, it's not like it's a theme park, dude. There's no, 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 no. When we came, when I say we were in camp, no, we had to make camp, you know, in the woods as best as we could. And um, yeah, this this place is not frequented on the daily. So uh, here's this young Bigfoot, going to ignore the advice of its parents, going to mess with us because it sees us there. Is highly displeased that we're there in the first place. Probably agitated, you know. What, man, I just wanted to drink a water from my own damn creek. And here I find you, you know, schmucks camping out here. So I'm going to mess with you. So I figure it's going to mess with us. It bangs on the trees, screaming at the top of his lungs. And since it got no response, not that I could do anything at all, it came straight for us and counted coup on us like the Native Americans used to do to French trappers and European settlers. Wouldn't kill you, but it was an act of bravery to say that you went up and you touched one of these white devils. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I got that's you. what I that's exactly what I think happened. I think it was an act of bravery on this young Bigfoot's part. And then he went up on the Western Peak, you know, hamming it up with his friends. Man, you should have seen what I did with these clowns down in the valley, dude. You know, and um, that's what I think. I think it was an act of bravery. And it counted. It literally physically counted coup on us. And that's my story of my in your face Bigfoot. Um, and then I had one in 2018, um, which here's the story on that. I, I soloed a particular area down in Southeast Missouri for about four years uh, on the regular. I loved it down there. It's a magical place. 
the, geologically, it's uh, it's got hoodoos, caves, box canyons. It's got everything that a nature lover wants, right? It's woods and yeah, just beautiful place. So uh, I used to hike it regularly, and every single time, the first time I went down there. I came to the realization, uh, I, I first heard, I'm in the middle of the system, and I heard some very soft wooing sound. And it was almost, you almost couldn't hear it. And I just had to smile because my first thought was, that's a young female Bigfoot. And I only say that because this is not the first time I've been in their proximity. So I, I've heard their sounds. I've heard, you know, females opposed to males. and. Um, this was a very, in my mind, because I didn't see it, a very young uh, female Bigfoot. So I just kind of smiled and I, I got this idea that this Bigfoot was very curious about we modern humans um, and just had that kind of energy. That's what I felt. You know, I felt this energy of, of, of this little being. And I eventually, not that particular day, but on another uh, trip out there, and every single time I was out there, she would make herself known to me. I'd be on the bottoms by the creek, and she'd be walking the ridges, pacing me, and and uh, you know, vocalizing to me in this very soft, wooing kind of a sound. And I just, it was kind of comforting, really. But um, I eventually came across her footprints, which uh, at the time were within the human range. But they were small, you know, compared to what you see, these gigantic tracks of these big male Bigfoot. Uh, and I, so I started photographing them and I found a handprint uh, down by a little small waterfall in the sand. Uh, so I put all this together and I'm thinking in my mind, well, it's a, it's a very young, curious female Bigfoot and has the most pleasing uh, personality about her. That's what I got in my mind. I went out there one time. Uh, and there was a massive uh, teepee structure and it was 20, it had to be 20 feet tall. It was massive and every single branch was broken off. And I didn't, didn't dawn on me right away that she or maybe others <clears throat> put that together. Um, my initial thought was that there must have been a Boy Scout troop out here or something and they built this massive wooden teepee. But then I realized, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think they could do that. It was really very intricate, you know, and the entrance to it was very tall. Um, and the whole structure had to be 20 feet tall. And so I don't know what the diameter was, maybe equally 20 feet or more, uh, but it was big. So long story longer, I, I, I meet my, my wife and I'm telling her, I hike this area in Southeast Missouri and there's a young female Bigfoot out there who follows me all the time. And she lets me know she's there uh, with her vocalizations. And I never heard her knocking on a tree, uh, but I always heard her voice. And she's laughing at me. She goes, you're so full of shit. You're, you know, as a Christmas turkey. And I'm like, well, all right, let's go hiking out there. So I take my youngest daughter, who was 17 at the time, uh, and my wife out there. And uh, it was a beautiful day. It had just rained. And so it was a cloud covered day, but the colors were popping. It was in October uh, and it was just a gorgeous day. The creeks were running. We're shooting photographs. My wife's taking a lot of pictures. <clears throat> so we get up halfway through the trail and uh, the girls, they're, they're climbing on these hoodoos overlooking the uh, Forest Valley. And I'm kind of down by the wood line and I'm going to set up a hammock for a while, take five, right? 
And all of a sudden I see the girls and they both of them swivel their head at the same time towards the tree line. And I said, and I kind of chuckled. I said, what'd you hear? They said, something was knocking on a tree. And I said, really? Cause I didn't hear that. I said, well, I believe you because I heard the vocalizations of this young female and they started laughing at me. They're like, you're so full of shit. I said, you just heard them. You just heard her knocking on a tree, right? Oh, that could have been anybody. I said, there's nobody out here. You know, there's nobody on this trail but us. Uh, so they laugh and they forget about it. And so we continue on and we finish the tra- We finish the, the whole hike. We spent all day out there. My wife is taking tons of photos. She's down in the creek shooting up the elevation. You know, the creek is, uh, uh, you know, has a higher elevation. It comes down into the bottoms where we, we were at. And uh, so end of story. A couple of weeks later, I'm at work and she texts me a photograph. She goes, look at this photograph. She goes, I'm nauseous. I'm going to puke. I said, why? What's up? She goes, enlarge it. Standing in the middle of this creek is that female Bigfoot looking right at us. And we didn't see her that day, but she presented herself and she was looking right at us. And I'm thinking, I said, I told you she's got a perfectly symmetrical set of breasts and all black. Uh, her face is a little distorted because <clears throat> from the from the point of where my wife was taking a photograph, there's overhanging vines. So she was, you know, there was some artifacting across her face from from uh, vines and branches in the foreground of, of the scenario. You could clearly see her hands across in front of her. They're kind of relaxed, you know, in front of her. She's got her legs uh, apart, standing in the creek, uh, symmetrical shoulders, perfect breasts, and her ears. You could see her ears, and you could see, you know, her head, which looks a little narrow because of this artifacting. Um, and she's looking right at us. I said, I told you there was a female Bigfoot out here. And she goes, well, I'm a believer now because I photographed it. And I'm going to send you that photograph um, a little later, and you can judge for yourself. And a lot of people have seen it. And I am, you know, I'm shocked at people. Of course, these are people that don't entertain stuff like this anyway. Uh, oh, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a rotted tree or, you know, lightning strike. And that's the stump. I'm like, you know what, <laughs> whatever. You can think whatever you want from that. I, I really don't care. You know, there's, so long story longer. I didn't notice it initially. I kept studying the photograph. I saw her and I knew she was there anyway. So, it, you know, it just, it just confirmed it for me, which I, what I already knew. But across the creek, it's like around two o'clock. Across the creek, up on the bank, is a massive, massive brown male. Well, he's kind of like brown-black, more, more black than brown. But he's got his back to us, and his left arm is hanging down, and you can see his butt and his legs and his back, and his right arm is either propped up against the tree with his forearm, or it's got its arm around the tree. But the tree is only about 10 inches in diameter. And this thing is looking, it's got like a three-quarter profile of its face, uh, which is lighter than its, the hair on it. And um, it's looking kind of, uh, not looking at us, but it's kind of looking to the, just kind of away from us to the left a bit. And um, I'm thinking, oh my God, this thing is massive. It, it dwarfs the female. And I figure... And I didn't even think about it because all I used to think about was this this young female out there, you know, just her personality seemed to be very sweet. Now I see that she has a companion. I don't know what this companion is to her, 
whether it's a mate or a parental unit or a friend or whatever. But you could tell clearly that this big male is watching out for her. Going to let her do what she wants to do, but keep her safe. You know what I mean? And I'm, so, and I'm, almost like, like I immediately just pictured like his Harley was parked over on the other. Like that's his old lady out there. And he's, <laughs> he's, he's got like, no. like, like uh, yeah, she gets a little wild, you know, but I'm watching. I'm well, watching. I think, you know, how old, well, she was clearly, obviously, she had grown uh, because she had big, full breasts. But, um, yeah, I, I still, I don't know what what this other Bigfoot is to her. Clearly a protector of some sort. This thing was massive. It was giant. It was probably nine foot tall. You know, it was big, big, big. And uh, while she, her shape was different, you know, her shape was a little different. She didn't have that massive broadness you know she was thick but not not like this big male so i'm i'm guessing male. i couldn't see the front you know but you couldn't see the front of the being but well that that experience right there like the stuff that you were like feeling and that to me directly ties into your spiritual side like that feeling like maybe because i I do think that these creatures are just as much spiritual as they are like oh, yeah. flesh and blood. Oh, I mean, well, I, I, I really do. The more I, the more I hear and stuff, and the more yeah. uh, stories. And it's almost like it, it was tapped into your spiritual side and like knew you were um, open minded. That feels all through my body. I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, it recognized that, that I'm open to these things, you know, and, mm-hmm. and itself to me um but yeah and and the other one too even the one that stomped into camp may have had some sort of uh perception about that you know we might have been on the same frequency that's maybe why i'm the only one heard it screaming at the top of its lungs you know what i mean i don't know it's, mm-hmm. a, it's just yeah. and you get you get these people that subscribe to the idea that bigfoot is interdimensional or something um, personally, I don't, I don't subscribe to that theory. I don't discount it, but I don't subscribe to that theory to me. They're, they're terrestrial. They're people, uh, not apes. You know, there might be some ape lineage of some sort because I'm isn't there ape, people. isn't there ape in all of us anyway? Yes, there is, you know, yeah. and, um, there is. So, and if, and if you look at modern Europeans, they're, they, they got up to 4% uh, Neanderthal in them to this day. And uh, that's that was proven by Sykes. He did a whole uh, his book, The Seven Daughters of Eve. He was trying to uh, trace the seven root races uh, all the way back to the beginning. And we and he discovered that, you know, there's uh, across the board in Europe, um, especially around England and, and, you know, that area, that the the people there have a four percent Neanderthal in them. So, you know, that there was at least some interbreeding, uh, maybe between you know, modern humans and, and these beings, um, or either by consent or abduction, you know, or maybe some other means, maybe some genetic. I mean, I mean, heck, don't they say that what percentage of the, of Europeans are somehow descended of Attila the Hun? Oh, that was proven, you know? Um, Yeah. I mean, not Attila, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I can see that. Or Genghis, I'm sorry, Genghis Khan. Yeah, Genghis Genghis Khan. Uh, National Geographic's went up on the eastern seaboard somewhere where there was a, um, a Mongolian community, and they had heard, like like you and I have heard, 
uh, that, you, you know, you could walk into any place and ask a Mongolian, are you related to Genghis Khan? I said, like, yeah. So National Geographic's went up there and at random, they walked into some bar, picked some dude out of the crowd, did his DNA and traced it back to Genghis Khan. He goes, I told you, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> so, yeah. So if that, I mean, that just goes to show you what one, uh, one male species could do. Well, of of oh, any yeah. of anything to populate. Oh yeah, man, you're talking about you know <laughs> making sure your line uh, continues. I guess that's a form of immortality. But uh, you know, it, when you talk about the the Bigfoot uh, people, that's what they are. Um, and who knows? Maybe there is subspecies. There might very well be. I mean, you, you got these. You know, allegedly, you got these more aggressive, uh, thinner, scragglier things down south. You know. Uh, maybe with three toes or something, uh, like the Falk monster. Um, you know, the, the, it could very well be subspecies, but who can say? When you talk about, you know, people ask you, well, what do you think Bigfoot is? Well, I think they're the first people. I, you know, um, and then when you get into to the subject of human beings, uh, sapien sapiens, dude, you know, I don't want to step on any toes. And, and this is well before... This is well before ancient aliens came out. Um, you know, I've been a prolific reader my entire life, so I've I thirsted for these kinds of things. So I sought these books out. I have books from the from the 1800s uh, on uh, treatises on uh, reincarnation and the human being and other beings from other worlds. Uh, believe it or not, uh, they were written in the 1800s. So I absorbed. All this information. I read uh, Robinson's Nag Hammadi Library uh, some 20 some odd years ago, I guess. Um, the Nag Hammadi Library were a series of parchments found in the cave, just like the Dead Sea Scrolls, but decades before the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And it's, and it's Gnostic texts, smacks of the human race. And this is going to step on some toes. But listen, the, the, the podcast is about weird stuff. So mm -hmm. it smacks of, and, and the, the texts, the scrolls were highly fragmented. And so the translators in their infinite wisdom, and I, and I am so happy they did this, where, where there were pieces of language missing, they left it missing. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, it was a dot, dot, dot. That's how they did it, you know, in the book. So the whole book, which is like 800 pages or something, um, is fragmented like that. But it tells a story of the human race being created by other beings. And this is a historical document. Uh, it's well known in the archaeological community. Um, and that's the first time that, and it's like I said, 20, 25 years ago, something like that. I, I forget. Um, and it's Robinson's uh, Nag Hammadi Library. Now, there are other renditions today, but that's the first one I read uh, that smacks of us being genetically engineered by different beings. And then all of a sudden you got ancient aliens coming out and they say all this, all this stuff. Uh, suddenly it sounds very interesting. So when you're talking about Bigfoot, that's what I wanted to get back to. You have to consider the origin, the true origin of the human race. So the Bigfoot being fits in a timeline, and I'm saying prior to 
certainly prior to modern humans. There was, there was, depends on who you read, um, human beings were on the planet, but they were not as developed as modern man that came about in a slightly different way. Um, so there was a branch, but it wasn't an evolutionary branch. It was, it was a manipulation and a, a crossbreeding type thing uh, by other beings, living beings. But that's, you know, so I can no longer talk about Bigfoot unless I talk about the origins of humans. Um, and people, people are going to accept what they will. They're, they're going to grow up and learn things a certain way, and they're, they're not going to deviate from what they have learned. Uh, but if you want to get to the truth of things, you must search yourself. You know what I mean? You must, mm -hmm. you, you cannot just accept what you've been taught. You must search into everything that, that if you want the answer, you got to go within, you got to go without, you know what I mean? Um, so Bigfoot, in my opinion, are people, they preceded sapiens sapiens. So, you know, I think that they were here long before us. Uh, if you go back to, I'll give you an example. Um, if you want to read a scholarly piece of work, uh, Stephanie Daly uh, is a highly respected linguist of ancient uh, Sumer. Um, and she deciphered the, uh, the tablets uh, that were found in Ur, in a, which is now modern-day Iraq, um, in the 20s and wrote a book about the their creation story she writes it as myth and she's uh you know well respected uh scholar and writes it in a scholarly manner but i'm telling you something she writes the story of the creation in the in numa elish uh and the the history of gilgamesh the story of gilgamesh about giant hairy men one of them in particular was brought to uh, King Gilgamesh, who himself was a giant. And I don't think he was, um, you know, wholly human because people, modern day people, they'll take a story and they'll compact it into like an inch square when really millennia and millennia and millennia have gone by to get the story. You know what I mean? It, mm -hmm. it doesn't. Yeah. Right? Uh, but these beings were known of as far back as tens of thousands of years B.C. in Sumer and um, was written about in their texts, translated by modern day scholars who writes it as myth. Enkidu was was uh, the giant hairy man who was brought to Gilgamesh, uh, depends on who you read, to test his to test the strength of the king. The king was bored. He was a giant, you know, was not wholly human anyway um and so this man this man creature uh stood up to him and they became fast friends who knows what language they spoke english didn't come around modern english didn't come around really till the 1500s i mean you know you had some inklings of it in the 11s but it really didn't come around so so english is a johnny come lately language i have a problem with that you know um Anyway, Gilgamesh and Enkidu become fast friends. They go all over the place exploring and they get into these, you know, things. And, and, and eventually Enkidu is killed, this hairy man, this giant hairy man. And um, 
it's also written in the same uh, myths of Mesopotamia by Stephanie Daly that one of the rulers of the neighboring regions uh, routinely housed multitudes of these giant hairy beings in his palace. So the big, the idea of a Bigfoot has been around many, 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 many thousands of years. There is a story, and I just corroborated this about a year and a half ago with a, a Latter-day Saint person, you know, somebody who's a member of the Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a story, and I read this story years ago about um, a member of the congregation or something was was uh, riding his horse down a dirt road. And this is here in North America. Um, and he happened upon a giant hairy man, a giant hairy man who, by description from the person on the horse, was taller than the dude sitting on his horse. Oh, jeez. I know. Now, that's pretty damn tall. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so anyway, the story goes, uh, and I guess this hairy being spoke English, which is weird. Uh, but it's, it told the man that it was Cain himself and he was doomed to walk the earth for an eternity. So that's a story I read. So I, I know somebody who's a Latter-day Saint and I asked them about this story and they didn't know, but they said they would check for me. A couple of days later, she calls me back and she goes, man, you're absolutely right. That is written in our history. That is a true story. And I said, there you go. So that's a Bigfoot, you know, or a Bigfoot type of a being or something. The idea, though, that they speak English kind of rubs me the wrong way. And that was supposed to be Cain? That's what, that's Cain what the story Abel. was. I did, yeah, yeah, Cain and Abel. Cain. Um, I did not write the story, you know. I just read it somewhere and because I'm always reading all that weird stuff. But uh, it was certainly corroborated by a Latter-day Saint that that actually took place. I mean, by as an eyewitness from this member of the congregation of the Latter-day Saints back in the 1800s or so. So, yeah, weird. They're, they've been here. They're real. Uh, if you've never seen one, it's okay to discount the idea that they exist until the day you do see one and you realize <laughs> they do exist. You know? until, until the day that one's running its finger across your back in your... Hey, uh, oh, my gosh. Hand. Listen, dude. Uh, you know, that that is incredible. And I always... I always said my running joke was if I ever had an encounter, face to face encounter with a Bigfoot, I'd walk up and give it a Snickers. Dude, <laughs> that is no way. There's, you know, that is. Well, not- I was, I wanted to ask you, like, why didn't you whip your cell phone out and take a video? Because that's the first thing is, I know, I but, but that's the first thing is, I think I hear these encounters and I hear, and I talk to people. Now, you're telling the story with a with a uh, so, uh, sense of exuberance and excitement because yeah. I you, can't tell you, it any other way. Yeah, you like now this might story might have been different five minutes after it happened. Okay, but now you've had time to reflect on it. You are a very learned person. You you have a perspective that's much different than quite a lot of other people, I believe. And you understand what happened and how lucky you were and how really exciting it is in your quest for the truth. Oh, yeah. And I can sense all that as you're telling the story. Like, you're just like, wow, this is like looking back at it. It's so amazing. And it's kind of like living like if you and your buddies, you know, fell in the river and 
you know, went through the rapids for a mile and get out. Uh-huh. And, you're, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, we did it. And you're high-fiving each other. And you're like, you know, 10 minutes earlier, you were about ready to die. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah, saying? Right? You have this sense of, of like, wow, okay, what did I just do? It was great. And, um, and I mean, I could sense that, you, t- you telling uh telling that i mean and there's and i almost wouldn't expect it any other way after hearing you know hearing your background and and this the way you were brought up and the stuff that you understand you know not just think but the stuff that you understand as real you know as is oh, yeah. what is what is it's all about so i i totally like like I'm just flabbergasted because not many people have encounters like that, especially with other people that can co- cooperate. And you, you can tell your brother-in-law that he that there's nothing more frustrating uh, than uh, than somebody that won't <laughs> that won't come out and, and tell the story. You know, it doesn't it, doesn't make any sense. He, I, I don't get it. I I honestly don't. He's kind of a zen out dude. You know, I mean, he's really well balanced and even keeled but how could you not how could you not just come out of the box screaming like you won't believe what happened you know what i mean how could you not i don't get it that's like these guys that i hear on these other podcasts yeah well it stepped out in front of me you know and you know said how do you do or what and it's just like nonchalant and i'm like how can you even well i I think that's i think that is i think that's just everybody's you know, coping mechanism and how they were and, and how they put things in perspective for yeah. sure. You know, yeah. like I said, you have a very unique perspective that that ninety nine percent of the population does not have and couldn't probably hope to have because of the way of the things you saw and experienced as as a kid. Oh yeah, you know for sure. Um, but uh, you know that's what makes it great. So hey, we had we had. Uh... I had a ghost in my house named George and I named him George because I saw him in an out of body experience one night and his wife called his, his, he and his wife were together and they, they, she called him George and uh, he was a prankster in the house and he loved the women and he loved touching the women. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, um, he was a prank. He was very harmless, but he did like to have his fun. And one of the things he did to me regularly, and I'm a book freak. I love books. I have a big library. And uh, my wife's looking at me and says, you better shut this down. Anyway, uh, (laughs) this George used to to blow the books off my shelf every single day. Every single day, just like he stuck his arm out and just knocked them all off. And I'm like, dude. And this is how I approached him. George, I'm going to whip your ass. If you don't stop knocking my books off the shelf and then he would get, then we get uh, playful and he'd like walk up behind you and whisper in your ear, Dennis. And I'm like, man, you better stop that shit. Uh, so, so I corroborated the idea of him being George when I, I, I was redoing a mantle in the house and I pulled the mantle off the wall and it was an old photograph of a dude in bib overalls, which is what this guy appeared to me as. Um, and on the back of it, it said, George. You know, so uh, this was after the fact that I had this vision about this George. And he, like I said, man, he used to love to touch the women. Um, and he would, uh, my cousin spent the night with me one time. I'll never forget it. And he, he got up to go to the John and I saw him back in 
walking backwards back into the room. And I said, what's up, dude? And he goes, the rocking chair is rocking by itself. I said, that's just George. Don't worry about it. You know, <laughs> so this is my uh, list. It's easy for you to say. Yeah, I mean, it is easy for me to see that people that don't experience it. It's not so easy. But yeah, by this time, I'm I'm kind of like immune to it, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Well, well, I'll tell you what, Dennis, this has been a fabulous uh, experience just listening to your experiences, listening to uh, some. I mean, and that little history lesson there at the end was fantastic. I think that's one of those things where I'm going to get emails and people are going to be like, I had to write down so many names, so many book titles, so much oh, stuff yeah. I got to check out. And I love that because I, I like people, like you said, like uh, go and learn some stuff and broaden your your knowledge base so you can, you know, kind of figure out what's really going on for yourself. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, it's a big, big world out there and there's so much we don't know. And And literally, I know nothing in the whole scheme of things, you know, if you ever want to talk about the whole OBE stuff, man, that's a, you know, whatever. But, uh, well, I think, I think, and we'll just put a teaser out there. I think for our, uh, Patreon members, I think we'll get back together and you and I will do a episode about the outer body experiences because I think that's a whole, I can't even imagine what you're going to teach me about that. So, <laughs> so, so just don't be creeping around here out of body. <laughs> And and then you know that's that's all I ask. Just don't come doing that. Do that. Right on. So. <laughs> well, Dennis, thank you so much for uh, for hanging out and just I I hope everybody hope everybody digs this conversation uh, as much as I did because this was this was really cool. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it and and thank you so much for inviting me on your show. It was a privilege and and uh, and a lot of fun to boot. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll get back together sometime and uh, talk about more stuff. And I think the Howler's in trouble. I think he's in deep trouble. He's going to have to figure some stuff out. You know, I'm surprised <laughs> being an officer. I'm, I'm surprised that he's never come. You know what? Maybe he's one of those guys that just ain't saying it, you know? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll have to pressure, put some more pressure on him. You know, <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the From the Shadows podcast. Until next time, never shy away from the darkness or what may be lurking in the shadows. We are out. <laughs> God only knows what's hiding in our shadows. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.